forever. Dog. From a suburban kid born in, you know, Chicago suburbs, to be playing an Indian-born dork when I'm like a musical theater, like popular nerd. Do you see like how much further we had to go and be? Like it's 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 almost assumed like when you see someone of color, we have to add these layers. Welcome to Household Faces, the podcast where a character actor interviews other character actors. I'm your host, John Ross Bowie. You might know me from Speechless, The Big Bang Theory, or one scene in the Diane Keaton movie, Because I Said So, which leads me seamlessly to this week's guest. I first met Parvesh China on that film, and we hit it off instantly. He just has a, a, a sense of, of playfulness and creativity and commitment that I found really endearing. We've kept in touch over the years, and he has really blossomed as a character actor capable of a lot of different characters. We're going to talk about Outsourced, Mythic Quest. It gets kind of political. There's a little bit of smack talk. And uh, yeah, we take sides in the Godspell Jesus Christ Superstar debate. Oh, yeah, this podcast goes there. Please welcome Parvesh China. Why do you have to take your shirt off next week, Parv? What's going on? My, my body is still like a joke for, you know, like how there's some like guys who are always going to be like, oh, unless you have like ripped abs, those people take off their shirts. And then other times when you're like, if you have to be the hairy guy, for a long time, the ethnic guy, you could be in a, yeah. you could be shirtless and it's still comedy. I mean, like I've been shirtless a lot and I just never thought like, oh, I'm, I'm always like a shirt on at the pool kind of guy just because of like yeah. my, my chub and curves. And it's, it's shifted. But even when I even, I made a, this joke before we started about like, oh, I'm having my, my protein smoothie, 40 grams of protein, two grams of carbs with some creatine and glutamine. Just because like, I know like a week of like just yoga and not eating pizza and having just like the salads and the purple carrot vegan home delivery system, we, we, we'll we'll shrink down a little bit. Just, do you know what I mean? Like I want to be look like how I look like in person on camera. So you want to take off the five pounds that the camera would add. Yeah. And therefore be just going to break even. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I want to talk for a moment since you brought it up. Let's talk for a little bit about that sort of casting when there's people who have to take their shirt off for a joke, which is me as well, by the way, just because, sure. you know, weirdly scrawny and then turn of, uh, turning into sort of a weird scubby thing in my 40s. Has that changed a lot in the years you've been at that? I mean, I've been I've known you for about 15 years now, and I have yeah. watched your career shift and I've watched your roles shift and get a lot more depth and get a lot more interesting. But it's interesting how some things are staying the same. Can you talk about the project at all? Or is it yeah, too premature? It, it's, it's, it's Bromates. It's a film, I think, with Jay Farrow, my friend Asif Ali's in it. I haven't read the script yet. I just know my scene. It, it's, it, it feels very, it's by the writer, I think he, now he's directing of Old School. So you know what's what to expect of it. It has a very ro uh, road trip, Euro trip kind of vibe. I and, was in road trip. Oh, there you go. So then- So wait, oh, is it, is it Scott Armstrong? No, Craig, somebody. Mason? Craig, no, I, I really should look it up. But right now I'm also okay. at the point where, unless it's like a big project, I, it's a job. Everything's just a job. You I know, hear that. Like, Bromates, schedule, script. But the other joke with it, though, is I'm just glad that it went to a brown guy. 
You know, I'm glad that the if we can also the the gays and the people of color can also be like just the dorky joke too. So do you see it's it's a combination because I play a lot of low status, dumb characters, put upon people, and not just a combination of and again, we have to be careful that the I know like early in my career a lot of that was put on me because I wasn't twelve pack apps. I was like office assistant or the dumb guy, the dumb cousin, you know. So right. you do wonder of like how much was put that up upon me because of my physical appearance, because of my ethnicity, because of my sexual orientation. But now I feel like almost there's even an ownership of it. I before in the in the past I would have like European wax center memberships. Like every time I'd be like, oh God, I have to be shirtless for this. My name is Earl. Uh, I'm getting waxed. Like I have to do it two days before, so you don't have like that red rash on brown skin. This is like what I would think about. And even for this one, my thing is like, fuck it, back hair and all, back knee, they're getting it because there is this ownership. And John, you're a few years older than me, if I'm correct. And I'm, I just turned 42. Happy uh, birthday. Bless you, this past month. And there's kind of like this age, wage, transparency I'm trying to have in my life that I think character actors are afforded. Yeah. And I, and being 42, being that like, I was, you know, I was baby Gen X. I was elder Gen Y. Millennials came about when I was in college and not on duty. And then they're like, all right, you 78 to 82 borns. You're a Zenial now. So I remember. <laughs> I've like not that heard that term. I've not heard that term. That's yeah, amazing. Go ahead. It's, it's, it's out there. And there's a part of me that feels like when I look at like the Gen Z millennial kids who are like, Body positivity, own it, curves, man boobs, candy muse on RuPaul's Drag Race, everything. It's still hard for me because I grew up where like everyone older than me was still like, we wax, we're we're smooth Twinkie seals, you know. You should be ethnically ambiguous, not Indian only. You know, like even in casting, like how that shit oh, happened. Wow. Remember yeah. like Parvesh, for every shield audition or every E-ring or every, oh Parv, you're going to work all the time after, you know, graduating college in 02. 9-11, you're going to be a terrorist all the time. Oh. Take out take out those earrings and don't dye your hair and be be quiet about the fag thing, you know? Which is what college professors said. So there's wow. an element of like... Where'd you, you, where'd, you, uh, where'd you go to college? I went to Roosevelt University in Chicago and there were some older teachers who like, and I had like four piercings. I had like red and purple hair. I was planning out like my first tattoo was going to be like a pizza slice because they said get something that you love. For your yeah. whole life. And sure. then they're like, no, 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 you, you're, you're a brown kid. You're 21 in 2002. You, you can't do that. You have to match this world. So I'm jumping a bit. I know I am between like, that's okay. And I see the shift though, because like I see kids younger than me who are touching 30, who are owning everything. And then I see the ones older than me who were like, we were, wait, we had to toe this line. We had to be this kind of, everything and then equally nothing like i didn't even i don't even speak great hindi or punjabi my languages because in the 80s it was like assimilate 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 be american 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 and then like 1920 happens and like madonna's doing ray of light and wearing mendy henna tattoos and i'm like what the fuck this is now a thing now we can be indian now we can now it's embraced not once just, madonna tells you it's okay yeah not just ethnically ambiguous Oh, for that audition, you're asking me my ethnicity, which you're not supposed to ask. I'm actually half Armenian and half Indian. Next week, same office, same show. 
oh, I'm actually half Pakistani and half Indian. You know, it was all one country before the, you know what, never mind, you don't care. So you end up lecturing casting directors on the Ottoman Empire and just trying yeah. to lay out everything you possibly can for them. Um, and we're not what, supposed to. I'm so tired you know, of being the dramaturg of every project I do. Well, Parvesh, what would they do? Like, fuck if I know. I can tell you, like, you go to the Fox Valley Mall, you know, before 5 p.m. Because after 5.30 is when the East Aurora, West Aurora High School kids come over and they cause a ruckus. You know, it's not like, how do I know? Like, oh, let me tell you about all the political stuff between partition and India in 1948, you know. See, this is the thing that comes up so often on this podcast is that this extra weight of, you know, forget inclusion, representation. There's just this extra responsibility placed upon actors of color to be like, okay, you are standing up for everybody. Exhausting. And any gig I have, I am, you know, on the rare occasion where I'm like the one white guy, I am still not really being asked to represent all white people. Yeah. And then every other gig, I'm one of several. And I'm, <laughs> and, you know, we're, we're, we're covered. You know, we are absolutely, yeah. we are, we all are, all our facets are, are being represented. When we met, it was on a Diane Keaton film. Yeah called Because I Said So, where we were part of a um, a dating montage. Um, a, the Rogue uh, Gallery. A the Rogue Gallery. gallery yeah. A Gallery of Rogues of guys who, and I've actually done that montage in a couple of things. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's one of the, it's a, it's a, it's a trope of, a romantic comedy trope of showing how hard it is to be single out there because this is what's available for you. And the choices were me, who was a guy who who ate and spat while he was eating. And just I had peanut shells coming at him, uh, flying yeah. out of my mouth. Steve Little, the groundlings guy, who has prominent teeth, but they kind of colored them. So they were really kind of uh, weird and gross looking. Who was the guy who could sneeze on command? Brian something. I don't, I remember it. He was very good. That was his party trick. Uh, another friend from that was Willem, the drag queen. Oh, God, that's right. Willem, before, like right when Willem had just like was doing like Nip Tuck, I think. And yeah. this is pre, this is before her season of Drag Race and everything. And yeah. so Willem was there. And Willem was also still kind of doing that vapid, like, you know, when, when, when they're in drag, they do a great Jessica Simpson. They do a very vapid blonde girl. So yes. they were playing that. And I remember you and I, because we were walking IMDBs. And when you run into another fellow walking IMDB person... Because yeah. you and I also rightfully were like, this is the fucking Diane Keaton. Like, we are opposite royalty. Not not just from hair to Annie Hall to Reds to whatever. But, like, I remember we were talking about all of it. And I remember... We're we were talking about, like, looking for Mr. Goodbar. We were going super deep into her resume. Yeah. And she... The thing that... What I always take away from that project, John. Not to mention meeting you, Willem, like, just having that day... I think you even took a photo with me and Diane Keaton. We waited for her to change after her, like, and she remember she changed from her outfit into Diane Keaton. It was like another, like, tie and green. My takeaway from that, because for, for some other projects, I kind of got used to the norm, like, oh, yeah, when the camera goes past the star, they're not going to stay for their coverage. It'll be, like, their assistant or a PA who will read the lines. Um, Ice Cube. But... Diane Keaton stayed for everybody's, all of us rogue gallery, where we literally would just do like 30 seconds to a minute and we'd do each like close up. 
But she, remember, she stayed for everybody's close-up every time. I was doing, like, Hindi gibberish, and I said something, beta, beti, like, uh, you know, an affectionate term for child, for son or daughter. Bait, the feminine, beti, sounds like baby. And she even made a joke, like, Warren Beatty. No, thank you. You know, like, I, I just remember her <laughs> playing with it. And that was that moment where I'm like, oh, no matter what, I will always love Diane Keaton, because she was an actor, an artist who stayed with every one of us. It's so interesting because that is true. Not everyone will stay for your coverage, Rose McGowan. And it's it's really kind of precious when you find someone who has an Oscar and will stick around. Um, it's, it's a wonderful feeling. But right. what was still interesting about that is that, you know, ultimately, and I mean no disrespect to the film, its writers, its directors, yeah. but ultimately the deal was... Okay, so this guy spits food, this guy has horrible teeth, and this guy clearly just doesn't speak English. Yeah. And I was a a foreigner. And that was kind of it, you know? And I'm not trying to sound prematurely woke, but there was something, it was was sort of like, well, that's it. I mean, that's like the gag is that he, he, he doesn't, he's just a foreigner. Mm -hmm. Um, Did you, I think I know the answer to this, did you do a lot of that in the early aughts? A little bit. That one was scary because Michael Lehman, who directed Heathers. Directed right? Heathers. Yeah. Was the director of this. And I was already like nervous about that too. And then when they kept saying like, just like, I thought it would just be like that broken English thing. You know, like a lot of us know like the 10 phrases. We know like, uh, you know, any like, I think first generation of anything, like not every Korean American, every, um, uh, you know, El Salvadorian American speaks fluent Spanish or Korean or Tagalog for Filipino people. So I went through like my phrases and I, then I ran out and they're like, keep going. I started counting. I started counting like in, like I'd be doing like, hey, John, um, one, two, three, four, five, six, right? I mean, like four, five, six. So I'm doing like, thin, and I remember being like, oh my God, when this movie airs, I really hope that they don't just cut to like me just like counting, like literally just counting. Because and there I was did not no know one, what to say. but there was no one there to correct you. There was no. nobody on set who was going to no. step in and be like, you know, he's just counting, right? Yeah, because no one, there was no one there. No one would. They didn't care about shit like that. There's a big problem I always have, and Omi, the, the actor Omi Vidya, is a friend of mine. He's great, but he was on The Office early on. We all auditioned for the IT guy, the tech guy. We watched the show. He's wearing a Sikh, a Punjabi Sikh. Turban. So obviously they wanted this character to be a Sikh. Omi was baby faced, barely clean shaven, maybe a little day old scruff. And, uh, you know, today, visually right now, I'm rocking beards for just work and it, it's just easier. And I'm, I'm 42. I don't mind doing the beard right now, but I have a full fucking beard. So like if you put the turban, the Sikh turban on me, you'd be like, oh yeah, that's a Sadarji. It's like putting, um, someone, like an old, like in their forties, in if they're gonna play like a uh, Orthodox or Lubavitcher Jewish person, and they put the curls, they put the prayer shawls, but they don't have a beard. You'd be like, "This is incongruous. This does not work." Right. So we had stuff like that where I remember, like, okay, then why is he with a turban if he doesn't have a beard? You would never do that. You know, like wow. my dad would even do that. He did that fake out, like when they came over here in the late sixties and seventies, the brain drain. Thank you, Nixon Johnson into Nixon. Okay. They they he cut his hair on top of his head, but kept the beard because then you could still tie the turban and look like you belong at Gurdwara at the House of Worship on Sunday, and then be a 
oh, he has he clearly has cut hair, but is just a bearded guy for his engineering firm during the week. And is that why is that why he came to the uh, the country for an engineering job? Yeah, the most of us, not everyone, but a lot of us, you know, we had the Chinese. Ex- my grand, my paternal grandfather, I only learned a few years ago, you know, like family secrets and shit and divorce and whatnot. But my paternal grandfather had actually gone to Berkeley. He was a communist, ended up knowing like um, Lenin and Stalin. Yeah, a little bit of a revolutionary. And he was gone. He was out of the country around by the time of 1925, 28, when Chinese Exclusion Act happened. So... I used to always say like, yeah, all of us are just here from like our parents who are the engine, the STEM, you know, the science, tech, engineering, math and medicine folks who came up because they weren't here post-World War II or there was just a drought of them. And that's when Johnson enacted it and Nixon had to follow through with it. That allowed finally the, the reversal of the Chinese Exclusion Act. In addition to like, oh, are you a scientist? Are you an engineer? Are you a doctor? We need you. And that also then persisted with the stereotype of conservative dads, like you can't be an artist, son, because the artists and liberals of a country do not leave it. I don't think that you, like if you are a left-leaning progressive, were necessarily going to go work in Peru or Cambodia and become an artist in that country. It doesn't happen. When they talk about like, oh, but Bollywood is so liberal. And I'm like, yes. And all those people stay in India. You know, it's only until like the Priyanka Chopra of Quantico where they finally started bringing in the big name talent. Because they were like, why would we come here? There are no servants and no chefs. And I can't bring my entourage of 30 people. I'm good in (laughs) Bollywood. But our parents who wanted to make money, they came here. And then they kind of persisted where they were like, why would you do a job that doesn't guarantee you money? Like I went to engineering because I wanted to get to this country and get the U.S. dollar. So we have a lot of this combination stuff. But like, yeah, we have this endless stereotype that finally, as the Gen X kids are having kids like Rizwan Munji, Danny Pudi, who have children, you know, who are like now nearing middle school, high school age. I'm like, oh, you guys won't have the problem. You know, it'll be grandma and grandpa, Nana and Nanaji, who are like the stern, strict ones. But it'll be your parents, like Riz and Danny, who'll be like, yeah, you can be a sanitation worker. You can be an actor. You can, hopefully, I, I can get you, we can, like, Ben Stiller it and Destry Spielberg and, and be like, and Jolie Fisher it. You know, my mom, Connie Stevens. I'm like, we get it. We get it. You have nepotism. You have a leg up on all of us. You know, we get it. We're catching up. You know, like, and this is the other thing, like, when I think of, like, the, who did I, I got in an argument with one of the Sadowskis, John Sadowski, shit my dad says. He had gone to U of I freshman year after, he was a year younger. And one of the reasons, like, I left Facebook because, like, I don't want to talk to these people was, like, the Grace Kim and the Daniel, Grace Park and the Daniel Day Kim Hawaii Five-0 stuff. And he's like, well, they just don't have as good of an agent as other people. And I'm like, you're right. Son from Lost and the Cylon from Battlestar Galactica, you know, the, yeah, they're better than the white guy lead from, who's been on 10 failed CBS shows before he gets it. But do you see that perspective? Like that they think like, oh, par, you're so lucky for you. Yeah, 9-11, you're going to work all the time. You know, you're, oh, it's such a nice time to be ethnic now. They told me this well, in 08, 2010. 
2015. I'm like, do you know how much harder and better we have to be? I'm finally owning it. I'm finally like being that pompous or asshole to finally say, I'm not going to be like, oh my gosh, thank you. Yeah. Oh, I know. I'm, I'm shy. I'm humble. No, we have to be that much fucking better than everyone else because we could barely get in. I walk into a room and I see and I, I see a bunch of white guys and me and I'm like, oh, I have a I have a 5% chance of this. Less than even the 10%, you know, because like it's it's almost even double. You have to really even prove yourself even more so. I had a lot of coffee, John. I'm sorry. I'm just, it's the creatine and glutamine also running through my veins. Parv, I have no notes. I have no notes. I want to talk for a moment, though, since you brought it up. What did you mean by the uh, the, the Grace Park Daniel Day Kim Hawaii Five O of it all? They, just to clarify. How- well, they were doing their contract negotiation. They're on a hit show that they're not getting. We know this. The fact that even it's in public, we know that they're not getting paid the same as the Alex Laughlin, whatever, the lead guy. And when you, they have a problem and the negotiations weren't met, you had a lot of white actor friends who were like, oh, I'm grateful. I'll take that job. I'll do this. I'm like, that's fine and everything. But are we always supposed to be so grateful for the crumbs, for the... For the for the scraps and be, you know you really should be grateful you're here. I did an NBC single cam. It was a guest star, and they were like, "Great," because then I didn't have to test. And the, their sense, like, when it gets picked up, you'll get series regular. And I'm like, "Cool." I was also doing a guest star, possible recurring on More Time with Family, which was a CBS pilot with Matt Damon and Ben Affleck producing. Oh, Matt Damon! You don't need to talk about your daughter and yourself saying the f word. Anyway, he finally came around in his 50s. He finally came around. What? Why even say it? Boston. Boston. You were the better one of the two. You were Matt was supposed to the better one of Ben. Anyway, they produced it. Tom Papa, Allison Hannigan right after um, how to get how to find your mother, whatever. And then and like Joey Pants and Malcolm Jamal Warner and James Burroughs is directing it. And I'm like this multicam with Allison Hannigan on CBS is going to go. It did it. And I'm like, all right, great. He gets picked up. I'm like, oh my God, I'm in a win-win. I'm going to be series regular. The day before. Mm. Our, the day before you know, what? You know, the pickup, you know, the June, right? It's always June 30th or July 1st where they're like, right, right. they have to pick up your series regular option. Mm-hmm. Hey, Parv, we ran out of money on the set. We can't afford to pay you. So we're going to pay you the SAG minimum of four grand an episode. What? If you don't want to do it, we understand we will replace you tomorrow. So take it or leave it. We took it. So here's the thing, and I want to clarify this for the listener at home, because the listener Please. at home just said four grand an episode. My God. But it's a nice chunk of change. If you are, if you do 12 episodes, that is, wow, is that, that's $48,000. Yeah. And that's before you are commissioned to your agent. Commission to your manager, possibly commission to your business manager, depending on, on who you are. And of course, it is before Uncle Sam takes his cut. And yep. you live in one of the most expensive cities in the United States. And if that is the only gig you do that year, which is possible, you are making less than a teacher. Right. Which get- is absurd. And teachers should be making more, no question. But it is yep. not as much money as it sounds like on its face. We, I always say to everyone, just like, if they're going to pay like, hey, you're going to get 10 grand for this commercial. I'm like, oh, I'll maybe put about five grand in my bank. It's half. I just half it. I yeah, really yeah, like yeah. kind of half it. If I make, if they say like, we're going to pay you a dollar, I'm like 50 cents will be in my bank at the end of the yeah. day. 
And there's really no other way to function or else you're going to end up horribly in debt. Right. And the thing with that was just like, I took it because I'm like, who am I to turn down work, that work ethic? But then it just makes you realize like, oh, everyone else is not getting, everyone else is getting five to and five times and more than them. And that's just the natu- nature. It's a very good thing. Like I think SAC, I think even the minimum for like series regulars to, to, to this day is 17 grand, 17, five, 20. It's Somewhere great. It's very good. But when you, but when you are the person who is getting a fifth or a 10th of everyone else around you for the same amount of work and you wonder why. Would they have done this to Kristen Milioti? Would they have done it to Lenora? You know, like, it's just a very fascinating thing because they know that the people of color for so long have always taken it. And why we bring up the Hawaii Five O, especially in like the Asian actor community, is because it's the I, I wasn't I wasn't aware of the contract negotiations yeah. on that show. I have and to they, they made a stand and they walked away. And that was like that first time I'm like, what? How dare they walk away? What? How ingrate? You know, and we're like, yeah. no, we just finally are doing it. And now we're, and it's, not, it's just not going to happen anymore. But yeah. I'm on that cusp where like a lot of, the, I've had a couple of those moments where, oh, Par, you you should be, why don't you have a house? Everything. I'm like, oh, because I, they, they shot all my scenes in one day for $700. Right. <laughs> Versus right. everyone else got to come like week by week couple grand a week you know it's just it's it's a it's a telling moment but that was the thing of like i do remember having arguments with friends saying like well they're just not as talented or their agent's not as good and i'm like right 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 because right. no one no one complains about the friends cast when they when they negotiate together and as we know from our friends on big bang theory i mean like when you are the biggest show on television you should get it you should get what you're paid because Every pilot, every failed show that exists out there, it's worth it to the studio when they get that one Friends or that one Big Bang Theory to make up for everything for that. Oh, they're you lost know, leaders and the money is there. The money yeah. is absolutely there. Money is always No there. question. Yeah. Um, let's back up a bit. Um, your dad was an engineer. What'd your mom yeah. do? Mom was just homemaker. She was English major in college. And then they were business people. They shifted out of that. My dad had one of the first one hour photos in Naperville, Illinois. Really? And this is before like Walgreens and like yeah, everyone yeah. else then started having it. They're like, oh, we don't need to ship it out. We can do it all in house. So there was like a golden time of that in the 80s, 90s, where like, you know, people would like stand outside the store watching like the photos come down and the machine cutting them. Yeah, sure. And even like to this day, I still have like so many photos because of that time period with film and everything. I always had like disposable cameras for like school functions and everything. So we had that. It was very great because they wanted to get away from like working for the man, so to speak. So I had work at the family businesses and paid for my college, no debt in that regard, you know, and at the same point, just because I don't have any debt doesn't mean that I feel like, I feel like cancel the debt for everybody. I, I refuse to be one of those people like, oh, if I had to pay, then you should have to pay. I hate no, this cycle. But you know, a lot of people are like, no, it'll grow hair on your chest. It'll make, it'll give you a character. No, it won't. No, it really won't. Yeah. I had to book a pilot to pay off my student loan debt. Um, and, uh, um, 
and I don't wish that on anyone. And I also recognize that not a lot of people are going to be able to book a pilot in order to pay off debt. Right. But like um, that's the thing that at least you got that. I, you know, I do view a lot of our work as like, oh, when you get that big money thing, it's not even money for the future. It's for money for past payments. Like I well, get a big a, paycheck today and I, it's paying off stuff for the last five months I didn't work. You know, or yeah, well, it, there's that old adage paid. that you you act for free, you get paid to wait, you know, yeah. which I, I think is is uh, something that also really needs to be understood. So when somebody hears, my God, $4,000 for one week of work, like that's following six months of staring at the phone. Right. People need and, to, to grasp that so we don't all sound like, uh, like crybabies. But this so is why when, I like telling people about how much we make, because it's not all... Lady Gaga or Scarlett Johansson with their 50 million or Tom Cruise with their profits or their points back end. Nobody understands what scale plus 10 means at all outside of the business. I certainly didn't. And um, it depends on what you're working on. But yeah, the um, uh, top of show for um, a half hour is what, like 4,500, 5,000? No, right now it's about, yeah, it's it's about 5,000. Okay. Around there, and then uh, hour long goes up to I think about eight. I think that's right. I'm yeah. not exactly sure, but like you know how rates change every few years as we negotiate. I want to I want to uh, make this just a dash more parf centric for a moment. So you Please. grow up in in suburban Illinois. Fair to say suburban, right? Yeah, yeah, know. totally. Okay. No, no, I was not a city kid until like 19. And at what point do you realize that acting is something you could do for a living? Um, so your parents aren't in the business. No, they were not at all in the business, but like you just fall in love. You know, like in, in fifth grade, when you play King George Third in a school, in a play about George Washington and people laugh at you when you ad lib a harump and then you twirl your red cape around in a, in a hump, in a, another hump that your grandmother made for you, you know, like. Nani, make for me a red cape. I'm playing King George the Third of the Brits. You know, I don't. I can't even imagine what her mind would have thought back then. You're like, I'm making a cape of the British King for my American son, grandson. Okay, so like that was that first thing. Like you know, we all get that feeling of like someone clapping or laughing made me feel good. That kind of recognition of a joke or a bit. And then by high school, we had like all state plays and all state musicals where like everyone from the entire state would audition for. And we did Man of the Mancha junior year. And I got cast in a in my first thing outside of my own like school district. And that was it. I was the Sancho Panza understudy because, of course, a blonde white guy was Sancho Panza. Um, right. Because that makes sense. Uh, so, so I played the Cut understudy. Off. Right. <laughs> and I played the understudy and I, that was it. I was like, I'm going to be an actor now. Cause it was that first recognition outside of like my immediate sphere. I love that show. Yeah. It's so good. I love, isn't it? I love Man of La Mancha. I love it. It gets me going. That's my, you know, night of the woeful countenance is on my uh, workout mix. I it's just jam after jam in that score. The, the Brian Stokes Mitchell version yeah. is, is I think like canon. No. Yeah, that is a that is a great great. Um, I grew up on the Richard Kiley. Um, again, yeah. our age difference, but um, but, no, no, yeah, but that I, I had, because that was the yeah. yellow. That was uh-huh. the yellow. That's background. right. That's right. You're absolutely er- correct. That's amazing. And Ernie Sabella, I believe, played Ernie um, Sabella Sancho is Sancho with, to Brian Stokes. Stokes. Yeah. Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio 
Correct. Was Aldonza, Aldonza. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Great show. Great show. I'm surprised it's not done. It should come back again because it is that kind of like, you know what? No, no, no. I believe it in my mind to be true. No, no. Whatever you're saying is wrong. You know, I think we're ready for that kind of. I think I think there's something about the um, the the tragedy of his romantic ideals and his for better or for worse, his fighting for something that is long dead, whether it be a chivalric code or, you know, God forbid, you know, some sort of uh, weird idea of what America is supposed to look like. There's yeah. there's a way to to put that show through a very modern prism. I think I that agree. I would be into uh, I would be into watching. So you went to college for uh, for theater. Yeah, that's Did awesome. You, yeah, were you an acting major also? No, I was an English major. I was wow, a, I, but that's I still said, adjacent. You weren't. Like, it's adjacent. Business. I got to read. I got to read a lot of the great plays, and um, I. But I was way. I was studying to be an English teacher, and I was way too scared to admit that I wanted to be an actor. So I didn't. I didn't. Uh, I didn't admit it publicly until I was like twenty-seven, and then. Wow, uh, and, where was and, school, John? Uh, uh, college. Yeah, undergrad. Ithaca College. Which oh, has a terrific, a terrific theater program that I was not a part of. <laughs> has yeah, a phenomenal. Uh, if you go to see a Broadway show right now, especially a musical, I guarantee you there will be one Ithaca grad in the ensemble. It is, it, it, it is a factory for, for. God, Carrie Butler went there. Aaron Tveit went there. I love Carrie Butler. Yeah, I've Carrie met Butler. Her. I think Carrie Butler was was around my. I didn't know her again. Didn't oh. hang with the theater kids, but she was around my year, a year either ahead of me or behind me. She was right around there in the. Uh, you should in, totally ha- talk to her. I would love numbers. to get Carrie Butler on yeah. this. I would love to just talk Ithaca with her. But so let's talk about, um, I mean, listen, I, I can talk about me for hours, but um, so <laughs> what gets you out to Los Angeles? Um, Barbershop. That was the Ice Cube film that shot yeah. in Chicago. I had just finished up at, at Roosevelt. I was doing Time of Your Life, William Soroyan. Soroyan, played, yeah. And I was the Armenian because again, when they don't have any black or other brown people, that's when we South Asians, now I'm South Asian. I've been East Indian, I've been just Indian, and now I'm South Asian. We would fill that. We'd fill that kind of Manasa, Middle Eastern, North African, South Asian kind of part. So sure. I'd already had like a little bit of scruff too. And being in Chicago, like we had we had agents during school. I was very grateful. I had like done like couple like a Walgreens commercial and like a Illinois State Lottery and like an anti-smoke commercial with Cecily Strong that we discovered she like found it she like we we were on the Kelly Clarkson show together and they aired it you know oh so like, my I'd, god yeah had a couple of those under my belt I had gone to New York Tara Rubin had come for casting for Bombay Dreams that okay A.R. Rahman music musical um, kind of a jukebox and I didn't get past the dance audition because we just, it, I couldn't do it. Okay. So I'm like, all right, that didn't happen. Oh, the movie I did, Ice Cube, that I auditioned after time of your life, I'd saw the beard. So I auditioned and because I looked older, I got it. And I, yeah. I improvised with Tim's story and everything and that helped. And I was a local hire. So barbershop was coming out. And then I'm like, mm, no, I won't go to LA yet. Let me just stay in Chicago, do theater. And I'm just not ready at 22, 23. Barbershop 2 came around. We filmed it. And then that's coming out in Feb 04. And then I'm like, okay, I didn't get Bombay Dreams. I should go 
where the sequel to the movie, I should have left after Barbershop 1, but after Barbershop 2 is when I finally moved to L.A. in February of four. What kind of experience was it like doing two Barbershop movies? What's, I mean, what's Cube like to work with? Well, Doesn't again, for his coverage. yeah, I don't know him. I've, I haven't seen him since Barbershop 2, like a rap party or something, right? We're not friends. He probably doesn't recognize me or anything. I just remember in Barbershop 1, I'm 21 years old, and I don't know how old he is, but he's also like, this is like, you just done like Friday and Boys in the Hood. So he's still kind of be, like, this is first like leading man. But he just read a magazine <laughs> throughout, like barely doing the lines and everything. I'm like improvising a lot because I'm like, I thought like I was like an improviser in college. So I thought like, this is what you're supposed to do. I would sure. like, and again, talk about the dramaturg. Like I would correct things that they, I would just say it like, no, not from Pakistan, Punjab, Northwest. Like I remember at, improvising that. I thought my relatives would get mad if I didn't like say it. Clarify so, that, yeah. Yeah, so that was it. That's all I remember. Um, I remember being a little bummed when they did the third one and not like, I'm like, it's like no one owes anyone anything. Right. So I remember it not. And then I do, there was a takeaway being like that there was on set. And even with, if it's because this is where like, it's only the last few years where like all the minorities, I think, started to work together to band together against like Trump and the GOP agenda, like South Asians for Black Lives. And we really educated our affluent upper middle class family members to be like, no, 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 no. Why we got to come to this country is on the backs of every Dolores Huerta and, um, and every civil rights activist who did not get the 30 year mortgage, did not get to move to Levittown in Naperville, Illinois with a wonderful, you know, hey, you know, they didn't even give that 30 year mortgage to white straight women. It was only like straight men, specifically white men after World War II. So, but we got out, we got, finally got houses. They let the Asians, you know, we're like district one to the kingdom of white people. You know, if we're using <laughs> a, a Hunger Games reference, like we are allyship. We're like, oh, my dad would be like, oh, they, they never left. They didn't back then, you know, white flight. You left the city. My dad and mom were like in the city uh, in Chicago proper for like a year or two, but before they were like Schaumburg, Naperville, we have to be where... Our coworkers said, no, you live in the suburbs, you take the commuter train. You, no one lives in the city. That's where all the black people in, in Lat, uh, Latinx, but back then Latinos, yeah. do drugs. That's literally what like, it was the common kind of thing, even among like the Indian immigrant community. Right. So now we see this, it's such a shift. It's such a change now like that we are only together. But back then there was still a lot of Indian jokes. It was right after 9-11, I'm playing the Indian convenience store owner with a black wife. So that already like is the joke on it. Like he's one of us because he has a black wife and I'm calling her boo. And I'm also now, I have this added layer of like, I need to play straight too. Oh you know, gosh. like I have a, a wife, you know, the gay theater kid who just came out like at 19 is now in a feature film with Ice Cube. So we have this rap hip hop community and there's kind of brownish jokes and you know, Stan, Pakistan, Medzlamistan, you know, I'm just like, this is the humor back in 01 and 02, right? Yeah. So there's a lot and I'm grateful to it, but I'm also like, when you look back, you're like, yeah, the, I don't know if like a 21 year old, if Barbershop was going to be made right now, I don't think a 21 year old musical theater kid would do it. They'd be like, no, change this. No, no accent. Have you met someone who's in their twenties? Nope. You know what I mean? Like these things change. So like, 
I'm grateful for it, but I'm also like, gosh, there's some times when I'm just like, why do you think come after Barbershop 1, Barbershop 2, the our film, what was it called? Because I said so. That's how, yeah. Was my third studio feature. You know, the thing, the projects that we have were, oh, it's not an independent. They don't have to sell this at Cannes or, right. or Sundance. We know this that this movie- This is going to go right, out. Yeah. It's going out. So like my third one, again, accented, doing this, so like, but that's why Diane Keaton made such an impact because I just thought, wait a minute, she's not leaving? I thought they leave. Don't they leave? Wait, why is she, then I got nervous. Like, why are you staying? You know, like, because that's just what, it's just that imprint. And then John, to be fair though, and I hope, and I think you'll agree, it's like the asshole or a jerk or someone who's late to set or is doing a diva moment is the exception. The rule is most of us, John, I'll always remember you and I were at like, when we were auditioning for like either like a Hannah Montana, Wizards of Waverly Place. And I remember you and I totally geeking out because it was Dick Van Patten. It was like, it was, first of all, it was Dick Van Patten. So I was like, Spaceballs, eight is enough. And I'm like, who's making Dick Van Patten come to audition? But you and I, and then it was like everyone. I mean, like, I feel like Gloria Engel came in. It was like everyone from like our 70s, 80s, reruns you know like it was in it was in the uh the tribune building on sunset i I remember it so vividly yes that's right you me and dick van patten and oh wait i think i booked that i think i not i didn't out it was wizards of waverly place and i think it was for the agent for fairies and i think i got that one i mean like was and he he went out for the grandfather and didn't get it i mean like that was insane but that's when i was just like wow like the, and then I, you know, but everyone was like laughing and joking about it. And then I was like, ah, aha, everyone is just working. Everyone is just trying to get it. Best person get it. It just, but it was just, that's when I feel better about our work in industry, like where, and friends where I'm like, even I think of like my peers, my best friends who might also audition against all the time. Danny yeah. Pudi, Rizwan Munji, Malik Pancholi. You know, yeah. two straight guys and the other fellow, like, out Indian-American gay man who's, like, also in their 40s. We laugh when we all show up. And we know. And we will run lines with each other because we just know best person will get it. You know? Right. So that's when a, a big shift happens. So that's why I even like to bring it circle when I think of, like, some of our peers who've been like, oh, you only got this because you're ethnic. Oh, Grace Park and Daniel Day Kim don't have good agents. I'm like... Come on, we're all in this together. We're all struggling and fighting. What, how does it benefit you? How does it benefit you to just read a magazine or not be there for your fellow actor? This is when I worry about like, these are the people who might not have ever done a play, who never had to move a set piece mm-hmm. together, you know, and move that set piece with Judy Kuhn. You know, I'm like, oh, you're a Tony winner, let's walk. You know, like, I mean, what do you, I mean, like, it's fascinating to me, like the, the lack of ego with some people, and then with some people who like, oh, I, I heard that Leah Michelle is always late, so I'm going to be late now that I'm number four on a call sheet. Oh I'm like, God. no, 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 this is no, not no, worth no. this way. We you need you to start. compensate. I hate to say it, but we actually need you to overcompensate. We need you to be there ideally a little bit early because we might have to shoot around whoever is late all the time. Yeah. Which is a drag, but it's also, it's the it's the right thing to do for the crew, some of whom are going to have to drive back to Redondo after this. They're not in L.A. County proper. Yeah. No one, um, I'm doing... We just had like a big push for a, a cartoon of mine. And I always forget animation is where you realize that even you as an actor, your voice work is 5%. 
the other as much as we think that we own a character like that we play on camera like oh i'm i'm gupta from outsource or i'm sunil from crazy ex-girlfriend yeah but it's also the writer who wrote that it's also the director decided where you're gonna go it's also that cost that the emmy winning costume designer melina root who knows what suit you're gonna wear and i i think of melina from crazy ex-girlfriend because all my audition suits are from crazy ex-girlfriend that i kept and because they crafted it and in animation oh my god the art and what they do a year after you voiced it you are a mere suggestion in animation you are just a suggestion of where they could possibly go and that just and you proved it you nailed it when you said like you're you're responsible for that crew too that that grip the lighting person the hair person all helped craft the story we are telling today yeah. We are not, it's not about my ego. It's not about my thing. It's not about my, it's also, yes, it's my livelihood and work and make sure you pay me fairly. But we are telling a story. We are storytellers. We are not just comedians. We're not just actors. At the crux of it all, and th- I literally, this like part of his thesis coming out, is like from the caveman days when we talked about the hunt or that crazy thing that came from the sky that made it wet or, you know, started a forest fire. That's what we talked about. And we would, we just describe it. Oh my God, did you see me kill that boar? Let me tell you, I was running and I threw my spear and I got it. You know, like, I mean, like we've just been telling stories around the fire. Now the fire is a television or, a, or our watch or our phone, but that is it. When you have that sense of service to the story, then there's no difference between character actor or if you're the leading lady, or again, if you're that 12 pack abs guy. We are all just parts of telling the story. Like I used to think like very like, even with Centaur World, which is this Netflix cartoon, there'd be moments where I'd be in the booth watching Kamiko Glenn and Megan Hilty getting like a private, like a thousand dollar VIP house seat to their Broadway show that I get to just sit here and be three feet while you're belting away. But we are all just still in service of the story. I love it. I love it. And I never... and. That's why even like the smallest bit part character actor to the Diane Keaton, to the Ice Cube, you you are equally as part. And that's always like moved me. It's kind of that same vibe like when Neil deGrasse Tyson talks about, give me a minute what your thesis is, Neil. And he's like, the thing that moves me and gets me up is that from the furthest star and asteroid to us, we're all made up of the same stuff. It's the same carbon and niacin and aluminum and, you know, and hydrogen within all of us. So like... That's how I feel about our acting and storytelling. Like character actors, we're just front, focus, center. We might take, we might be there for that one day of filming all my five scenes. We might be there like number three. Like I'm just thinking of Sam Richardson so much right now. Did you see The Tomorrow War? With I haven't yet. Chris no. Pratt? Eh, it's fine. He's great. He yeah. brings such life and truth. And everything, every, and you know he got every button, every improv on his, like, you know, oh, it's Sam, just do a play tape. They used it because he grounded every moment of this weird future war movie thing. He was amazing in um, uh, Promising Young Woman. Oh, wow. I haven't seen it. Oh, he I'm scared is, to. Actually, I'm scared uh, it's, to It's an movie. upsetting piece of work. It's an upsetting piece of work, and his work is upsetting therein, but it's wow. fearless. It's fearless in its ugliness, and uh, it's really, uh, it's, see it, and then we'll have coffee and talk about it. I'd Um, love to.
you you cited outsourced. Um, outsourced was a, a bit of a game changer. It was it was a one and done NBC sitcom, one season. Right. Yep. But I, I'm I'm hard pressed to think of a, a television show with a larger, um, and apparently we are now saying South Asian cast. Yeah. Um, um, was there a sense of oh my god? Finally, was there a sense of oh my god? We have to get this right. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of pressure on a show like that. Totally. We had so much because, again, we were also, none of us had a natural, none of us were Indian, Indian born. And mm. I even think like 11 years later in 2021, if, Indi- if we were going to do it now, none of us born in America, Canada, London would be hired. They would go to India, India. And I kind of get it, but it's that hyper-actualized casting that then screws the person of an ethnic background in the country where you're not the majority. Right, so right. I think of that with a hyper-actualized casting because like my grandparents, Sikhs, were living in Lahore, which is now Pakistan, but my grandpa, my maternal grandpa was an Indian hockey, field hockey player. And then he had like, um, like a show car kind of business. Like, oh, do you need an Aster Mar- Martin for your episode of Speechless called Gurbachan Singh? You know, he's got oh, okay. 30 show cars. So some higher up said like, hey, Gurbachan G, you're a Sikh. This is happening in a few weeks. Partition, you know, where 20 million went like this, a million died. So they made it to what is now India. But when I, I can't audition for Pakistani roles because technically I'm Indian, even though if the British hadn't mucked up everything, I, I, it would all be one. So like we talk about that, so that hyper actualized casting has to be applied to outsource today. And then back then, it was all like the white people, white critics and everyone who were like, this is offensive. This, I'm offended for you. And we'd like, our relatives were watching it on Comedy Central India, because that was the agreement. They're like, this is great. Yeah, this is awesome. Because in that monoculture of India, where they equally have their hot people like Ashwarya Rai's and Priyanka Chopra's, they also get to have their versions of The Office and where they show, remember, comedy is people who are struggling. Right. Friend, Friends is the one when I think of like, oh, they shifted where they made six hot people into the comedians. But we've always been like the dumpy. If you were a little chubby, big nose, you worked in half hour comedy. You weren't in close up hour long dramedy or dramas where at the end of the day, it's because people want to watch Tom Cruise because they want to either be him or have sex with him. Right. Guys and girls like. So outsource. Then we got a lot of flack by people. Indian Americans who are like, don't show us in such a bad light. You're not doing us a service. And I'm like, fuck, damned if we're this, damned if we're that. We don't, I, I, it was just like, and it was just a reminder, and Dan, Pudi and I talk about this a lot, that we're, and even Gracie Mercedes has her own, has her podcast, which is not blank enough. And I'm like, I will I, never I know Gracie. be, she's great. And I will never yeah. be Indian enough. That was mine. Never be Indian enough. Cause like, to Indian Bollywood and Mira Nair's, we are not Indian enough. To white people, America, Hollywood, Trumpies, unless we are doing jokes with an accent on The Simpsons, we're never American enough. So that Catch-22 there, we were just grateful we got a back nine. We were yeah. grateful that we're on Thursday night, M- M- NBC Musty TV. But yeah, it, and I love it because I'm like, you do know like this is, a, this is 180 degrees from my real life from a suburban kid born in, you know, Chicago suburbs to be playing an Indian born dork when I'm like a musical theater, like 
popular nerd, <laughs> you know, because I just knew a lot of people. Like, do you see like how much further we had to go and be? Like, it's it's it's, it's almost assumed like when you see someone of color, and I say this to like, I'm thinking of like my friends, Armand Vasquez, who have to do like, you know, when they have to do Mexican or other Central Latin American accents. And they're like, oh, I'm from St. Louis, shit. You know, like we have to add these layers. So like, I'm very grateful to it. I do know that most of the white people from the show are the ones with all love to my friends, Matt Walsh, Diedrich Bader, Ben Rappaport. They get pilots. I had a pilot for CBS and then Ben got the lead and they're like, Parvesh, we can't go further for you. We can't have two people from Outsource on the same show. I'm like, yep, the Brits get to do it, but not us. Um, a to Z, the Superstore that happened, bet when Feldman, when they offered him the lead for Superstore, oh, Parvesh, you're not going to produce your session for Susie Ferris for Nico's role because we can't have two people from an NBC show on an NBC show. I'm like, yep, I know. This happened before. It only helps, It only works with the white people. Only Leah Remini and... Kevin James can do this or Simon Pegg and Nick Frost and Ricky Gervais and every one of his cast. Do you see like how they get to be repertory players and get to come back? Would it be out of nowhere if you and Minnie Driver were going to come back on a show? Everyone would be like, yeah, hey, they're back, back together. You know, like, but th this has happened a couple times where they just won't. So like, it's a mixed bag. I'm very grateful, but I'm also grateful for the time period it came in because if it happened now, not me, it would not be me. Well, I used to get a thing 15 years ago, I would get, um, I, I would go out for much the same roles I, I go out for most of the time. Now, my role on Speechless as number two dad on, that was kind of an outlier. Most of the time I go out for, you know, tertiary characters, whether they be on hour lawns or, um, or half hours, crazy uncle, random coworker. Um, but I would hear a lot around 2005, as recently as 2010, um, yeah, your number six on the call sheet role, they really want to go ethnic with that. Yeah. And I would say that's, I mean, I think TV should look more like America. That's fine. Why don't they go ethnic with the number one on the call sheet? <laughs> and then I can be the goofy guy. And, and they would inevitably say, John, I'm losing you. I'm going into the canyon. Yeah. And it was always, what was interesting about, about, um, outsourced was the the just the sheer size of it i mean just the sheer size of it and then you had like diedrich bader was a tertiary character on the show and it belonged to you i mean yes it belonged to what was the lead's name Ben. Ben. Uh, Tom. Uh, it belonged to him to a certain extent to a certain extent but it, it felt the, the episodes i watched in preparation for for our talk it's a pretty it's an ensemble piece yeah, it grew to it. And with love to Ben, who is like my little brother. I, I've gotten to see, I've been, I was a groomsman in his wedding. Rizwan oh. and I were both. I got to see, I missed his Broadway debut in Picnic, but I was, I saw Fiddler twice, you know, but he's a gem. I. Wait, who did he I, do in Fiddler? Which Fiddler? Perchick. The last one with Danny Bernstein. He was Perchick. He was Perchick? I saw that. Yeah. He outsourced Ben Rappaport is a Juilliard trained phenomenal actor he can do everything and he can sing and he was perching and he would come he was out a great perching now i have everything all right bye yeah. enjoy act two right it was, yeah. it was great and then he's off um, to siberia he's wonderful and but i did i posited the thing of like can you imagine an outsourced because this is me in india when the indian american comes back to india and is like oh my god can i just have some mcdonald's oh great it's meat free 
You know, like, I mean, like, I wanted to show it, like, because when I go to India, I play a game with my relatives, like, let's play spot the Westerner, spot the American, spot the European Indian person. Okay. And I'm like, oh, that guy's from, that guy's totally American. And I walk up to him, Northwestern Memorial jacket. I'm like, are you from Chicago? He's like, yeah. And I'm like, I know. He's like, how? I'm like, we walk differently. We we have a different, like, you know, we spread our legs, we walk, but like, that's I an interesting to show. show a guy who returns a, a very anglicized uh, Indian guy who returns to a call center. Yeah. That's an interesting show. I watched yeah. that too. Because you would cause then talking about like the expectation to drama, you know, like how we have to be like Parvesh. Oh my God. Do you know where a good Indian restaurant is in Ventura? Parvesh. Oh my gosh. What's India like? I'm like, well, have you been to your grandma's house? Yeah. Have you been there for a month? No, that's India for me. While you get to go to your ashrams and, and pay full price, I get to go shopping with my relatives and keep my mouth shut so we get the local discount and not the foreigner discount. I had maybe in my 13, 14 visits to India, you know, up until like, so like, and if you combine them all, like I think I've spent maybe a year, year and a half in India because every time you'd go, you'd go for like minimum two weeks to a month. I think I'd been alone for like two or three hours and I had to lie to my aunt and all my cousins say like, I'm having an interview with India today just so I could go to the local market, walk around and be alone as a 35 year old, 36 year old for like three hours. And yes, the rickshaw guy like took me the long way home when I was just like maybe like a block away. But you know, it's like, can you imagine getting into an, a lift and you're like, you're at Hollywood and Highland and you're like, take me to Hollywood and Vine. And he takes you a half hour around instead of the two minutes behind you. Cause I'm like, oh, of course he, they knew, like they heard the American accent and they're like, oh, this guy doesn't know that he needs to go two blocks. I'm going to take him around and charge him a hundred rupees. But at least I was alone. At least I finally had some freedom, but that's what India is for me. You know, I am so American. I am so assimilated because growing up in the eighties, you did not want to be other. And I know that other people of whatever ethnicity, but I know like whenever someone who was Indian, Indian, I would, and I would say that like, are you Indian or Indian, Indian? Like, were you born there? Whenever they'd see you at a store or anything, they'd start talking to you about where you're from, what your parents do. And I'm like, I don't, this is jerky on me, but I, I was kind of like, I don't know if I, what do we have in common other than our skin color? And I, mm -hmm. and it's not until I got in the last few years where I realized like that is so important to so many people. That is so important. And it's actually on the flip. When I think of Republican, GOP, and I'm going to speak specifically to Daisies, to Indian Americans, I'm like, you don't think when the battle comes, when the war comes, do you think that that guy who's already shooting up Asian women at a massage parlor in Atlanta, do you think he's going to check with you? Oh, no, no, no. This Punjabi Sikh woman was the woman who did the invocation in that funny language at the Ra R Republican National Committee. Save her, but kill all the other brown people. They don't get it. That skin color, gayness, trans, that's all they need. That's all that they see as a device and everything. And when you are of that, when you're a Milo Giannopoulos or a Peter Thiel, cisgendered gay person, aligning with like, yeah, I'm gay and I'm conservative, get over it. And you're like, they, you don't get it. They hate you. You are the first, you would be the first on the firing squad. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I know the, I know the guys you're, uh, you're talking about. And are a, um, a very 
there's a specific they're being used and I don't yeah. think they fully it's not necessarily for me to say as a as a cishet guy but it does look from the outside that they are being propped up as a sort of defense mechanism sure. towards uh to to prove that um we're actually uh, that the party that fought tooth and nail to fight gay marriage and make sure that it was uh, outlawed um, is actually okay all of a sudden, yeah. sort of retroactively yeah. fine with this sort of thing. Let's talk for a moment. You, you, you've mentioned your um, your accent or or um, or maybe the lack thereof. Right. Um, it's in the past ten years you've had a great run of characters who really on the page aren't necessarily don't necessarily even have to be Indian. Yeah. Um. um Let's talk for a moment about your experience on um, on Crazy X. Um, Absolutely. Uh, was it? Absolutely. You were so good because, on it. Thank Love you. Love the show. Love the show, but you were great on it, man. I was grateful because that was one where I knew some of the writers. Audrey um, Wakope was one of them. She was Ravi Patel's ex-girlfriend in his film, Meet the Patels. That's, That's right. So I've known Audrey for years. And then a friend of mine, Josh Nelson, was a big fan of Rachel Bloom's from her YouTube videos from like the Fuck Me Ray Bradbury, you know, and everything. And then I would start watching those videos during that time. Like I, I quit drinking uh, two years ago. It, it was just time. I'm still a big pothead. It, 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 we call it gunja for a reason. So it goes well with Indians, you know, there's less blacking out, less fighting. It's just a better life. Uh-huh, that sure. being said, I remember like, after you come back home with your gay friends from the bar, come over to my house, let's order pizza. And then we'd watch YouTube videos. We'd watch like, let's watch this. Let's we have to watch the 1992 American Music Awards where Whitney Houston does, and I'm telling you I'm not going, and she does Porgy and Best, and then she does I Have Nothing. And then, <laughs> so in the rotation would also be Rachel Bloom videos. So yeah. then when the show came out, no one told me it was a musical. So then the pilot was available and then we'd, I would go to, I remember going to host a thing in DC afterwards. I went over to friend's house and we watched the pilot there. And so I was tweeting about the show. Audrey texted me like, Hey, we're having a harder time casting some people who don't know the show or the tone of a musical theater comedy. So we, we want you for the show. And that was it. I, and then I, they had me come in. I thought like, Oh, I'm going to, Oh, I wonder who's going to be here. Malik, Riz. And they're like, no, it's just you. We just need a tape for Viacom. And it was with Donna Lynn and Rachel. And that was it. And it was a dream. And every time we got to just improvise um, riffs about musical theater, Donna Lynn and DL and Rebecca then also would do kind of dramatic improv. Not just like the button for a scene. They would just be like, they know the, they know the intent, like any good actor on ownership of their show. They knew what they needed to do. Then they would even just do a dramatic pass. Yeah. And it was brilliance and it was magic to watch and be a part of. My only complaint is I wish I had done more. That's sure. it. I just wanted to do more. I got in one musical dance number and I was just like a giddy fucking kid that whole day working with Cat Burns and mm-hmm. everyone. Cat Burns, a great choreographer. Yeah. I, what a sense of, she knows that again. It's not about like great choreo. It's about what is going to sell the story for Phil. And she does. And yeah. Then, well, she, and I've worked with her on stage. You have on what? Yeah. She directed. She choreographed. Um, found the musical, which was Hunter Bell, Lee Overtree, and Eli Bolin. Sack lunch, special mm-hmm. John Mulaney, composer. All friends. I've done workshops of the show. I couldn't do it at the Atlantic because I had A to Z. 
Pootie, that final season of Community was delayed, he took my track at the Atlantic. And so I, and then I did the LA premiere, which is we closed during the pandemic. We closed March 11th. We had a couple more weeks. Yeah, Jonah, Jonah uh, Pratt was in it. It was great. And um, Sheila Carrasco, who's on Ghosts, the new CBS show. Mm-hmm. We just had a gem and Kat was our choreographer. And I'd even be like, can we have more choreo? And so just like kind of staging, she's like, oh, okay, you don't need it. We're t- selling it. So which is what it said. She did not need to just do choreography for the sake of it. It was always just, what is the story? What are we working on? And I just thought that was brilliant. She's going to direct. I think Kat's on that next level of like, she doesn't need to just, you know, choreographers are the next, the evolution for a choreographer should be director. Yeah. You know, Graziella well, Daniela. She does the, she has that quality where she, um, she's used in comedy so often. She's used, she, she choreographs comedy yeah. dances, which is, which is, she understands how the beats work. She understands where the jokes land. She understands when to hang back with movement and when the movement has to be front and center. Uh, it's very interesting to watch. I encourage anybody to go back and rewatch uh, Crazy X with an eye towards the dancing. She understands what tropes of musicals are being spoofed. Yeah. When, did you when see she goes the, in there. Did you see the morning show? The Martin Short number? No, I haven't seen that yet. It is fabulous. And that was Kat. And it's amazing. Because again, you're also dealing with like the Martin Short. I mean, like, we forget what a musical theater comedy genius he is from like little me he works with mark shaman all the time like it's just he was just brilliant and well he's in that famous he was in that famous toronto production of godspell with eugene levy and andrea martin wow and, and he did um shorten did we beseech thee funny which makes perfect godspell sense, was right? never mine it was never my show <laughs> it, it, it felt because you know why because in terms of like the Godspell versus JCS, the Jesus yeah. Christ Superstar fight that you'd have, like all those super religious people like Godspell. Right. And all the like the non-Christians and the people who are like, yeah, Jesus and Mary Magdalene were totally married. She was the first Pope. Dead Sea Scrolls. Look it up. Um, The rest of us liked Jesus Christ Superstar because we're like, rock, it's the Avita guy. It's the Joseph guy. Godspell, we're like, Stephen Schwartz. Okay. Godspell, um, Ch- Children of Eden. We we know where he's going. There's and time this is for both. Wicked. There's yeah. time for both, man. There's is absolutely there? time Godspell for both. Godspell has one good song. Bullshit. I By call bullshit. By, By my, my side. side? <sighs> Only good one. Only good one. We beseech the fucking slaps. Uh, um, uh, day by day, you're going to turn down. Now, forget, forget how often you've heard Day by Day. Remember the first time you heard Day by Day. Day Come by on. Day was one of those 70s songs that never ended. You know like how songs didn't end, they would just trail off day sure. by day. Because it doesn't really have a bridge. Um, right. Uh, uh, so like, no, uh, no. Turn Back, Oh Man, which is based on an actual uh, actual hymn. Um, and they, they Heaven tr- on they their do- minds. Everything's no, all look, right. Dude, no, dude, 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 dude. The, the riff on Heaven on... The guitar riff on Heaven on Their Minds is the shit. And then the Ben Vereen... Original Broadway cast, yeah, New York yeah, yeah. cast version. Uh-huh. No, I don't do Murray Head. I don't fuck with Murray Head. I'm Ben Vereen except, all the way. Except Murray Head's chest. I've been listening to chess again because I got the live version with Josh Groban, who sure. is a brilliant musical theater voice. He that is. voice is musical theater. But Idina Menzel's um, Florence is okay. 
her nobody's side is like at the beginning it's a little back phrasing she's a little off i will give it up for it. i will give it up for murray head in chess but right. i am ben vereen for jc superstar or carl Agreed. what's his face from the movie um, i'm saying Weathers. there's time for, not carl, carl weathers, weathers carl right? we- it's not carl weathers carl, carl weathers is apollo creed carl oh, then, i gotta look it up i'll look it up because i know yeah, you and so I, I are the sort of people him, and i saw him that carl and ted neely who are from the movie they did the uh-huh. ad tour in like ni- in like 99, 98, 99, 2000. Carl, Carl Anderson. Ted Neely, Carl Anderson, not Carl, Carl Anderson. Winters. Not Carl <laughs> Weathers. Carl Weathers is Apollo Creed. Carl Weathers, Carl Winters, no. It's Carl Anderson. We asked them to go to Denny's with us. I remember when we saw it. We're like, do you guys want to go to Denny's with us because we're musical theater college kids? And they're like, no. <laughs> like, no. I, I wasn't sure where that story went. And then I ended up having a moons over my hammy with Junus. But Can no. you imagine? <laughs> Can you imagine? Let's, um, uh, I don't want to keep you too much longer, but I still have stuff to talk about. Um, Why? So, well, I'm just late for a Unite for Strength meeting. I don't mind. Hey, union <laughs> politics. Gonna, I'm are you going like, to Ed right. Asner this one? You're going to Ed Asner no, this one and barely no, show I up? Just, I, the big thing with that is just like, even actors, you know what I'm realizing? Because I, again, I liken it to any get out the vote effort for national politics, right? It's all about, you know, we, every liberal progressive causes have all the votes in the world. You just got to get them to vote. Isn't that fascinating? We have it. There are more people of color, more white allies, more people who just believe in decent kindness and goodness and equality and realize that Parvesh getting two more auditions does not take away from my 100 auditions that I have that month as a white, straight, cis actor in their 30s or 40s, you know. But there are more of us. We just got to get them out to vote. We just have to get people to vote. And and it's now, I also used to think like, God, is everything about getting out the right to vote? And it's sad and sometimes demoralizing, but it's all it is. From, 19, from the 60s Equal Rights, Civil Rights Act, it is all about just getting people to vote. Can you imagine just how much life would vote. be easier if it was automatic, everyone was just registered to vote? I don't get it. I did not understand it until these last four years. And now this last year with the big lie, like, and I, I'm so sorry, I keep going macro because these in, inform all of our lives in terms of even actors and artists, like as a gay brown person in working in the film, TV, voiceover industry, it's already political. Just me existing and trying to get parts is already political. And trying it's to get naive to think otherwise. Right. But I used to think it, I could separate it. But now I just realize like it's every year, even the policies it's, and climate change, gun rights, uh, I mean, gun uh, control. But it matters nothing if you can't get people to vote or if they have the right to vote. It saddens and it's also like inspiring. Like that is all my focus is. I'm taking kind of 2021 off these next few months just because I need to. But 2022, it's all about the vote. Gain up the right to vote for everyone. I can't believe it. I mean, I'm still kind of shocked. That, like, that's the focus. That we just have to make sure that people get the ability to vote. It's it's disheartening. Yeah. The, but we are uh, going to do it. We are going to my, do it. My, my social media comments um, are... Uh, I love um, your social media, by the way. I love I your... I love, no, because uh, if, if people don't say something, John, 
And someone who does read it and watch it, and you and I both tried the Vivo too. We tried to leave Instagram and everything, but like, if you don't, then the next person doesn't. And then the next person doesn't do it, you know? What has been interesting is that I've had people who have tried to take the tack that as an actor, you should be really scared of this diversity push, man. And I've had people come either into my DMs or straight into my comments telling me that yeah. my my job is threatened. And look, I'll be honest with you. It is not 100 auditions a month for me. However, it has never been 100 auditions a month for me because I don't sure. have great bone structure. My posture is not terrific. And I am 50 this year. So it's, it's I noticed you straightened your posture uh, on that I did. thought. But, I but it's, um, but I, I still do fine. And also, if anything, it has reminded me that white mediocrity is not going to cut it anymore. Yeah. You know, and I should have a little fire under my ass. I should be undeniable. I should be exceptional. If that means I take my ass back to class, great. I went back to class during the pandemic. Uh, Me it's too. Been, yeah, Me too. it's been great. I loved, I loved, I love online classes because I, I I'll do a monologue. Memorize. I don't love doing scene work. Uh -huh. online but I, I took a monologue class that was terrific for me fantastic i learned that i am not memorizing any audition when i have all these teleprompters called ipads and computer screens around me at any given time like why i can read yeah. and act i can see a live i've worked with teleprompter i mean hosting stuff like we have this technology let's use it and John, I think I have to tell you, like, Speechless was so good. And when you made that shift, because I mean, like, yes, we could also dance in the nerd culture, 20s, 30s, something's forever. But I'm finding, like, no, I should be playing different parts. I should not be playing, like, the guy who's like, um, Principal Danvers, they're ready for you. No, I need to be like, oh, I'm Principal Danvers now. You know, like, I love that you've grown and shifted with it. Well, what's been, this is what I loved about your work on Mythic Quest, because you talked a lot earlier in this interview about playing a lot of low status characters, and then suddenly you yeah. step up as this venture capitalist who's keeping his dorsal fin underwater a little bit, but Pudi is completely aware of your tricks. And when you finally reveal yourself for the shark that you are, and and he's kind of thrown back on his heel he, heels, I was watching this, I was like, these are two actors who never get to do this kind of shit. And I'm 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 actually finding myself kind of emotional talking about it, but the two of you were just completely out of your not necessarily your comfort zones, because I won't speak for your comfort zones, but I had never seen either of you do that. I had never seen him play somebody he was playing low status, but there was a a, a fervent, proud like necessity to his work, and then you were just like the you were fucking Glengarry Glenn Rossing all over him. And it was amazing to watch. Did you guys were you guys able to stay in the moment or were you, or did you kind of step out and be like, wow, can you believe we get to do this? We did. So Danny is, I literally talked to him. We had an, we had an hour catch up yesterday. You know, like we don't go maybe a week at most without, and we always know like, it's just busy, but like. I run into he, you guys. I run into you guys together. Yes. He is literally like my, one of my three best friends, you know, and family. And we work and talk about, we do stage stuff, we do Parv and Pootie, we do like, you know, and when he told me about it, that, and it was Megan Gans who actually was like, what about Parv for this part? And they, they, and so we joked like, you didn't even bring me up. He's like, well, I said yes. When she brought it up and like, she brought it up and it, cause they know, people are starting to know like a friendship, like, and 
that day, mind you, this is also like, so I was doing connecting that Zoom quarantine show. Yeah. They let me out, even though filming at home, but that was my first on set project during the pandemic. And now I've been lucky and fortunate, you know, we have the, you know, we're all getting tested and everything. We, we've got projects and I'm very grateful. I feel almost even safer on set. Delta variant might be changing it, but for the last year that we've been back to work, I felt safer on set than anywhere else. I would think everyone at Radford, at CBS Radford is tested. So Danny and I though, we had to do all the Snoop Dogg scenes that day. Cause that was when he was available. Right. And they tacked on that dramatic moment, our big scene, which, you know, happens at the end of the episode, was the first thing we filmed. Oh, my God. So, and we're like... So there's no wrapping up to it. You're nope, just... Nope, you, no, no, no. Yeah. Because then after, like, I came in and literally was doing, like, a scene a week. And even Megan was like, the showrunner of Mythic Quest was like, I'm sorry, we're bringing you in once a week. I'm like, are you kidding? I get to have, like, lunch with Danny once a week instead of, like, all... all Because the other thing is, like, when you are a smaller part or... When you're used to like a guest star, like you think you only come on one day. I mean, like this is like one day a week, but that first day we were just thrown into it. And I just knew like Danny is a better memorizer. He's better prepared. He's got that muscle, you know, that that brain muscle. And I also know that he wants to show, we always say like, you know, in improv too, like the softer side of Sears. You want to see what makes Judge Judy or Miranda Priest right. work, right? Right, right, right. And we just knew like it would play into like my soft, cuddly, <laughs> Oh, wow. You know, like world and vibe of like kindness to do that kill. So it wasn't that it was, I don't, there's an element of like, yes, we were nervous and scared, but we were just, he and I have a shorthand. A lot of friends who like, John, I would also venture that you and I are in a scene and you mess up. I'm just going to feed you your line right away. I don't need like it to be a cut and stop and let's reset. I'll be like, no, I'm right here. We're in it. Let's go. So we had that moment. I never worried about any of that. I just wanted to make sure like I could deliver that element of like the crux of why this is happening, why we get to see Danny's Brad character broken down like this. And we peppered in a couple of like the Indian familyisms without having to explain it, without having to dramaturg it. I called him Motu, which means fatty, which of course is what you would call your beanpole brother, you know, like to make fun. So like we just had all these layers. Our director, Angela Barnes is, um, she's black. And it was, and the writer of the episode was a black woman whose name I'm forgetting right now, but it was just so collaborative. And I'm very grateful. Thank you for saying that because that was huge for us. I was ready for people to see that other side of what we can do, of what Danny can do. Like, cause he got to show some of it in community, but it was still like that, that glib or that kind of tongue in cheek. This is yeah. vulnerable, true, simple. And you were absolutely right because the difference between outsource and where fresh off the boat got it and now never have I ever has it, is now you get to see us fucking and you get to see us with other relatives and at home. We're not, why outsource even work? Because we're all different. Why workplace comedy works for character actors? Because you're never going to care or see so much about like um, the accountants on the office. You know, maybe by season seven, we started to, but at the beginning, Meredith, you know, Oscar, Angela, they're all just kind of like, they're just stereotypes. They feel that. So that's why I'm loving that even with Never Have I Ever, let alone even on Mythic Quest, that like we get to see them at their family life. We don't see that. I was very grateful on, because um, a lot of voiceover. I, I recur on Craig of the Creek on Cartoon Network. I'm a side character. 
They went deep into my side character for an episode. Uh, uh, and I'm not Gujarati, but the writer was of Gujarati descent. So I got Sonal Shah. Danny's my other best friend, is Gujarati. She's playing the grandma. Danny's the dad. I'm the kid. And huh. Sonal taught us the Gujarati phrases that we needed to know, you know, and everything. And it's just like, that also, That moved me more. Like, that was like a lot of tears, like with Sonal and even with Ben Levin, the showrunner of Craig of the Creek, being like, we don't get this. We don't get to have like the grandma have a moment with the dad and the son. Three generations, you know, I've talked about like how my parents should be, you know, like are now like us Gen Xers. It's our kids who finally get to be fully American. My wish for you is and I think you're headed in this direction, is a career where you are consistently being followed home and and we do get to watch you do it and we do get to watch you uh, talk to your grandma and yeah. uh, and it really looks like things are pointed that way for you. It really Parvesh, is, John. Parvesh, I can't thank you enough for doing this. Uh, I love you, John, and please wish Jamie well for me too. I will pass that on. And that is an episode wrap on Parvesh China. You can find him on Twitter at Parvesh, or you can just go to ParveshChina.com for all your Parvesh needs. I suggest you do just that. Forever Dog. Household Faces is a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by John Ross Bowie, Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. Produced by Ben Blacker. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcast.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook. Until next time, when's lunch? <laughs>